The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When I decided to come here, I already knew, you know, the weapons, and there's only one football to kind of go around. So, um, you know, the time where I do get my opportunity, um, I think it's going to be a lot of opportunity um, to kind of show um, what I can do in some space, you know, running routes, um, I think this offense is really fit for my, you know, my skill set. My heart just hurt all day. Like it was, it was heartbreaking for me. Um, you know, and I, your flow kind of said what he said and said what he said to you guys as well. And that's the decision and the direction that the organization is going in. And obviously, you know, we've talked in the past, uh, me and you guys, about you know how I'm the placeholder, and this eventually was going to happen. No matter, it, it was just a matter of kind of win not if and uh, it's still just it, it broke my heart yesterday and um, you know it's a tough uh, tough thing for for me to hear Wednesday edition PFTPM Shereen Williams Mike Florio and this is the one day per week that we are live in the UK and in Ireland on Sky Sports NFL. And look, folks, I appreciate your support. I love hearing from you. But I can't do anything about us not being on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Friday at 10 p.m. local time. Nothing I can do about it. Take it up with your cable provider. Take it up with Sky. And you want the morning show on at noon your time? Nothing I can do about that either. I appreciate the fact that you'd rather... The show be on live in the morning. You'd rather this show be on more than one night a week. There's nothing I can do about it, but take it up with Sky. Let them know. Flood their mailboxes if there's still mailboxes. And uh, let's have at it, Shereen. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good today, Mike. Good, good, good. This is that weird middle day of the week where, well, we don't have a football game to react to from Tuesday night. We do have a Thursday night game this (laughs) week, although no Thursday night game. Eagles-Giants, no Thursday night game, Eagles-Giants. This is the true test of the hardcore football fan and or gambling degenerate. Oh, thou shalt not speak ill of Thursday night football. There went Shireen. They're going to get me next. (laughs) Shireen's back. Uh, Let's get to it, Shireen. You know, the big news this week in the NFL comes from the official announcement today that Tua Tonga-Vailoa takes over as starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick is benched. And he's shocked, Fitzpatrick is. I don't know why he's shocked. Let's start there. Why should he be shocked by the fact that it was inevitable that Tua Tagovailoa is going to become the quarterback of this team? They made him the fifth overall pick in the draft. Why is he shocked? Why does his heart hurt? Why is he surprised at something that he should have known was coming? Well, you know, Mike, he said further that he felt like this was different than the other benchings he had. Like, this was his team. and I mean, they'd won two games in a row. He's completing over 70% of his passes. He's thrown 10 touchdown passes, seven interceptions, over 1,500 yards. I mean, he was playing really, really well. And, you know, I think if the Dolphins had lost last week or lost the week before, maybe he feels differently about it. But he was playing so well, but there was absolutely nothing he did that precipitated this change. Nothing. I mean, he was playing really good football. What made the Dolphins go this route was looking at the future. Brian Flores said it just felt like it was the right time. They have a bye week to get him ready. I don't know that the Rams is the best place for Tua to start his career. Uh, Good luck uh, facing Aaron Donald in that Rams defense, Jalen Ramsey and the rest of them next week. But they just felt like that this was the right time. He is the future, and Ryan Fitzpatrick understood that, but I think he expected to be more maybe after they were out of the playoff race or after he was playing poorly or the team had lost some games. None of that happened. Nothing he did lost him his job. I think there's a story behind the story, whatever it may be, whether it is Tua was performing so much better in practice that it was a no-brainer 
that Coach Brian Flores would take this path or the decision was the result of pressure from above in the organization. And if that's the case, you wait for the reports quoting anonymous players who don't like the fact that Fitzpatrick was benched. And there's no guarantee those reports are going to happen because Brian Flores is not the kind of guy that's going to tolerate stuff like that getting out. And it all comes down to how well you have your team under control to keep that stuff from happening. Contracts with Dallas Cowboys, who have had some players providing anonymous quotes, expressing disagreement with the way the coaches are handling things there. So whether it's Tua is just clearly better or whether it's the owner wants to see what Tua can do. And there is beyond getting Tua reps so he'll be better next year. There is something to be said for seeing what this kid has. We see that Burrow, Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick who will play Tua Tonga-Valoa coming up later this season, assuming both stay healthy and both are still starting. We see that Burrow has it. We see that Justin Herbert, who was taken one spot after Tua Tonga-Vailoa by the Chargers. Those two play each other coming up as well. We see that Herbert has it. Let's see what Tua has. And look, let's see what Tua has because even though the Dolphins won't be in the top 10 this year with their own first round pick, they may be in the top 10. They may be in the top five with the Houston Texans first round pick. So to the extent that you'll be in position to evaluate a quarterback coming out in this year's draft, you better have evaluated the quarterback that you currently have on your roster. And look, it wouldn't be the first time in the past couple of years that a team used a top 10 pick one year on a quarterback and then used a top 10 pick the next year on a quarterback. That's precisely what the Cardinals did when Kyler Murray fell into their laps. So for all those reasons, let's see what this kid can do. And most importantly, Shereen, let's see if he can stay healthy at the NFL level. That is job number one for Tua Tonga-Vailoa. That's the concern that general managers had when he had three lower body injuries in three seasons at Alabama. He's a mobile quarterback. He does not avoid contact. And if you don't avoid contact at the NFL level, and if you can't stay healthy at the college level, chances are you're going to get injured at the professional level. We've talked a lot, Mike, about these comeback stories. This is another great comeback story. When he starts on Sunday, it will be 351 days between starts. And the last time we saw him start a game, obviously he was carted off with that hip injury. And there were doubts whether this kid would come back and ever play again. I mean, forget being a first-round draft pick. That certainly was, was in question. But there were questions about whether he could ever play again. And he's come back and, and by all accounts, is 100% healthy. He got a few snaps last week, went two for two for nine yards. And, and I think maybe that'll ease the pressure a little bit when he goes out there uh, next week. But a long, long time since we've seen this kid start a game and, and quite a comeback story. And I think I said this week, obviously they're on a bye, so it'll be next week. Uh, when he when he gets his start, but almost a year to the day um, that that he went out and went out with that hip injury. But here's one thing, Mike. You know, no, but there's no quarterback better that he can learn from from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I know what Ryan said, but he also said he's going to be the biggest cheerleader and he's going to cheer this guy on, and he will be. And you saw him on Sunday waving the towel when Tua finally got out there for the first time. But I also think the Dolphins should do right by Ryan Fitzpatrick because he has been such a good team guy. He said he's not going to ask for a trade. He's not going to demand a trade. But I do think they should go to him and say, what do you want? If you want us to find you a place where you have a chance to go start, we will attempt to do that. I just think that would be right by him because he's been right by the team. I think there's also reason to keep him around because we don't know what oh, he's going to do. We don't know that he's going to stay healthy and he's going to have one game before the trade deadline because they don't play week seven. They play the Rams week eight. The trade deadline is two days later. I would not move on from Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, and, and here's the, here's the, 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 the bigger question. What if Tua just doesn't get it done? Assuming he stays healthy. Obviously, if he gets injured, you need Fitzpatrick. But what if Tua stinks? What if Tua needs time? Can you can you go back to Fitzpatrick? I don't think you can. I think once you have picked your fifth overall pick in the draft, future franchise quarterback, that's it. There is no looking back. And that's what Kurt Warner told the Giants 16 years ago when he got benched with a 5-4 and four record for Eli Manning. You cannot go back now. 
Once you've put the young potential franchise quarterback under center, you can't start pulling him in and out of the lineup. No, and that was my point. This decision is made. It's for now. It's for the future. They're not going back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I just think they should do right by him. Now, if I'm the team, certainly I want him on my team for all the reasons I stated. I think he's a great mentor for Tua. There's no question about that. He's a great team player. He's not going to have dissension in that locker room because he's not starting. He's going to be a great team player. But I just think they need to do right by him. And, and I agree that the trade deadline's very, very quickly. But if that's what he wants, I would attempt to get him somewhere, preferably in the NFC, where he goes and has a chance to start. Now, I don't know where that would be. Maybe it is in Dallas, whatever. But I would ask him if that's what he wants and do right by him. See, and and maybe I've been hanging around the NFL too long and I know the way that teams are. In their mind, doing right by Ryan Fitzpatrick is paying him $470,000 a week. That's it. That's their only obligation to him. For as long as they want to pay it this season, he becomes a free agent after 2020. That's all that they have an obligation to do. And he knew going into this season, there was a possibility he was going to get benched at some point. I think he will be the consummate teammate. They may need him at some point. Hell, they may need him week 17 as they're getting ready for a playoff run. Maybe two is great, and maybe two gets injured. Look back to 2016. They had a playoff team with Ryan Tannehill. He gets hit low by Calais Campbell. They need Matt Moore to come in and play in the playoff game, and they they actually had a better showing than I thought they would have in that game. So Tua fits the two quarterbacks in Miami, and we're going to find out coming up in a week and a half what Tua can do, starting with Aaron Donald and company and the Rams taking on the Dolphins. Odell Beckham Jr. had an interesting media availability today, and I'll mention that in a second. It was after he spoke to the media, however, that the word came out that he's been banned from LSU facilities for the next two years. Now, I don't think he was going to LSU facilities anytime over the next year, or at least until the pandemic's over. So in that regard, it's symbolic. But the idea is that he handed out $2,000 to players at the national championship. We saw that. We knew what was going on. I have evolved past having any concern about college football players getting money from anyone to play college football. Because you know what? Whatever they get, it's not enough. They deserve more. They deserve whatever they can get. And we've come so far from Reggie Bush in 2006, where God forbid his parents were getting free rent from agents that wanted to represent him. And then that came out and the Texans didn't draft. And they say that had nothing to do with it. Baloney, it did. And and, and who cares? These kids are exploited. They're taken advantage of. The education they get in return for what they do isn't nearly fair value. So I don't have a problem with Odell Beckham Jr. handing out money. And if LSU has to do this to save face or avoid sanctions, so be it. But you know these kids are getting money from someone, and I think we are well past the point where anybody really cares about it, Shireen. <laughs> What's so funny about it, Mike? LSU denied that it was real money. Oh, it was fake money. <laughs> Even though we see, we saw in the yeah. video, it's real money. That's what's so stupid. Like, he did it right in front of the cameras, and it took Joe Burrow saying, oh, no, it was real money that he handed out. Uh, for, for LSU to admit this, but there are all kinds of problems in that LSU program, basketball and football, they're looking into, and it wasn't just this. And so they had self-imposed penalties that they put on themselves. But yeah, being banned from the facility, yeah, who cares? They're not going back to a national championship game or playoff game this year the way they're playing. So we don't have to worry about him showing up on the sideline at LSU because they're not going to be there this year. Maybe again next year, and he won't get to go to the national championship game, but so be it. Two years is not very long, and he's not going to be going to many LSU games anyway. The NCAA just does not have the resources and the capacity to investigate all of the violations that are out there. They tend to just deal with whatever falls in their laps or if there is an organization that becomes aware of it and they're scared about what may happen if they try to cover it up, then they raise the flag on their own and they take the punishment, assuming it's going to be far less if they self-report. But... I, again, I, I, I am well past the point of passing judgment on any player who takes anything from anyone for playing college sports because they deserve it and then some. Didn't they also try to say he went around and gathered up the money too? Didn't they try? They threw everything yeah, yeah, they could yes. at this early on. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. Sorry, it, Odell. It took, no good deed goes Joe unpunished. Burrow. Yeah. <laughs> it took now, Joe Burrow of, coming out and saying it's real money. 
Speaking of no good deed goes unpunished, I I respect what Odo Beckham Jr. did last week when he raised his hand and said, I don't feel well. He spoke about that today with the media. He made some flippant comments about thinking he's some way impervious to the virus, and I really do think he was kidding. And unfortunately, that became the headline as it related to his conversations about COVID-19. But then he said, you know what? I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to do the mature thing. I didn't want to take the chance that if I did have the virus, I was going to spread it through the building, even though it meant he had to stay home Thursday and Friday. And maybe he wasn't as ready as he could have been for the game on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But he did the mature thing. He did the fair thing, the proper thing, the thing that keeps people who are potentially vulnerable to a bad outcome from catching that virus. I'm concerned that there's so much reliance on the honor system because there's plenty of days where people don't feel well and they just don't say anything about it. They just keep going about their business. I don't feel great every single day. And and you know what? I wonder whether some people are saying, man, this is an easy way to stay home today. <laughs> I'm not feeling good. I, I'd be tempted to do that if I was still in school or actually worked in a place other than my house. But I respect Odell Beckham Jr. for doing it, but it did hurt him as it related to the preparation for Sunday's game. And I worry that some players may try to keep it quiet and keep it secret when they're not feeling well and just assume, I don't have COVID-19, I just have a cold, I just have the flu, I'm not going to let them send me home and I'm going to miss out on a roster bonus or I'm not going to get to play and my backup plays and then the next thing you know, they don't need me anymore. Some, Mike, I, I would say most. And the reasoning is a solid one, right? You're tested every day. Hey, if... I don't test positive for COVID, then I'm not positive. So why should I tell anybody that I have COVID symptoms that could also be the flu, a cold, a sinus infection, whatever it might be? I'll just go on about my business. If I don't test positive, I don't test positive. If I do, I do, then then I have it. And and I would say that he's going to be in the minority of this thing. And uh, uh, kudos to, to Odell for speaking up. I do think he did the right thing. He did keep his teammates from potentially being exposed if he had have had uh, COVID-19. So, you know, I hope more players do this, but I guarantee you that most will not. And I'm glad you said that because Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston and I sent some texts back and forth within the past couple of weeks where he said, no one's going to do that. They're going to come forward when they have symptoms. And I thought like I was being some sort of bad person by saying, are you crazy? Of course, they're going to hide their symptoms. They hide concussion symptoms. They're going to, and just because the concussion only hurts them, they're going to think it's no big deal. I'm going to test positive if I have it. I just have something else. Why do I want to let myself get shut down? So I'm glad that either we're both very horrible people or Tom Curran was wrong. I'm going to choose to say Tom Curran's wrong and that most people are going to want to show up for work, especially in a competitive field like the National Football League. Speaking of COVID-19, the Raiders sent home their entire offensive line because of contact with Trent Brown starting offensive tackle. This wouldn't have happened a couple of weeks ago. This is one of the changes on the fly the NFL has made. And I I always wonder, is this something they should have been doing from the get-go that they were negligent about? Or is this something that, you know, science and recommendations from epidemiologists that cause them to do as they've adjusted to this new reality. I have a feeling this is probably the way it should have been from the get-go, but these rules are kind of screwy and you do have to send guys home and they can come back if they test negative for a couple of days. But in the interim, Raiders have a game coming up Sunday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You don't have your entire starting offensive line as you're getting ready to take on a defense that look pretty darn good on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. So even if these guys play, just like Odell Beckham Jr. last week, you're told go home. Oh, you get to participate in virtual meetings. So what? You're not practicing. We saw what happened to the Patriots when they didn't practice. This is bad for the Raiders, Shereen. It is terrible for the Raiders. You're facing the number one overall defense. And I was talking to a scout uh, last night and just talked about how he thinks the, the Buccaneers defense is even better than the Steelers defense. And I, I was like, you're crazy. I still think the Steelers are the better defense, but there's no doubt that the Buccaneers are, have a very, very good defense. And I think, uh, I think the Raiders are in trouble. Even if these guys play, I think they're in trouble because they're not getting the practice time uh, that they need. And, and this is not good for the Raiders, but doesn't it feel like Mike, that the Raiders have just been for weeks and weeks and weeks. When we go back to the unauthorized personnel locker room, the, 
event for uh, Darren Waller. They went to the unmasking of John Gruden. Just everything, it just seems like that a COVID outbreak in Las Vegas was inevitable with this team. And I know it hasn't happened yet. The game's still on. It's one guy. But they've always, to me, just seemed on the brink of something happening. You're right. They're right on that edge. And for as tough as John Gruden was talking about COVID-19 during training camp, I think once he gets into football mode, that takes over and the football stuff supersedes any and all concerns about COVID-19. Well, if he doesn't have a starting offensive line as he gets ready for this weekend against the Buccaneers, he's going to realize they better take this even more seriously than they have. Speaking of COVID-19, last topic before we take our break, Super Bowl. Mark Murphy, the Packers CEO, said recently that They do have a plan in place to bump it back, not one, not two, not three, but four weeks to March 7, if need be. Now, I think a lot would have to happen for it to go back that far, but it's good to see that that much flexibility has been built into the system, Shireen. I mean, it technically allows you for four more weeks, actually five more weeks of games if you need to do it, because now with no Pro Bowl, you scrunch it down, you get rid of the two-week break, you've got five weeks to play with if you have to do it. Surely they won't need five weeks of makeup games. It builds in the opportunity to press pause on the season if you have to do that at some point. So they're going to play a Super Bowl. Whether it's February 7, March 7, or somewhere in between, they're playing a Super Bowl. Whether it's with nine games played, like 1982, whether it's 12 games played, whether it's some teams play 14, some teams play 16, some teams play 13, whatever it takes, they're getting this season in. And we're already at a point where week seven is looming. Most teams have played six games. They're getting this season in. Well, it's just like the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. They had pauses in their seasons. They adjusted things. They moved things around. They shortened seasons. But they all finished their season. The NFL is going to finish its season. It's just a matter of when. Right now, it's on track for exactly uh, the date it was supposed to be. And they have one week to play with. As you said, they could just back up those first playoff games. Pro Bowl's out anyway. So you have that bye week to play with there before the Super Bowl. And then, so if it goes to two more weeks, then you're talking about backing it up. But no one's going to be surprised if the thing, this thing backs up. And it's easy to to get it to back up because there is not going to be a full stadium of fans. We know that. I would say 20 to 25 probably from the NFL people I've talked to is kind of what they're expecting at this point. It's going to be a small crowd. The teams may not go in ahead of time. All of those things. You're not going to need the hotel rooms that you would normally need. So there is tons of flexibility here with backing this thing up. It's not going to be a big deal whenever they play the Super Bowl. And it's not like the hotels are booked every week after February 7. That's the other flexibility the NFL has because it's not like people are having conventions right now. So there is an opportunity to move this thing around. There will be a Super Bowl barring something incredibly unexpected and that would be uh, over the top negative and, uh, and, and almost tragic for it to not happen. It is going to happen this year. The only question is how many regular season games will there be? All right, we're going to take a break. Football Pod in America is next with Mike Tirico, Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, and me. And then Shireen and I will be back to answer some of your questions on this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. We'll be right back. Like the guys who have the foursome who play golf on a weekend just kind of meeting for lunch in the middle of the week, right? Here we are all gathered to talk about what's going on in the NFL. Rodney, when you heard the two is going to be the starter next time Miami plays, what was your first thought? Well, I trust Brian Flores. Brian, Brian has um, the opportunity to see these guys in practice and meetings. He see their attitude. He see how the team is responding to all the different players, and I trust him. I trust that he's done a really good job of surrounding him with quality players. Um, Big wide receivers, athletic, um, a good running back, good tight ends, and good leadership on the defensive side of the ball, Coach. Yeah, and I I think, you know, the the question was, when is Tua going to be ready physically? When does he feel like, hey, I'm okay, I'm, I'm over this surgery, and then mentally, do I have a handle on the offense? And as soon as that happens, I think you've got to put him in there. And I didn't think it was going to happen now because Fitz was playing great, is playing great. But two is the future, and you've got to you've got to get him in there. I, I agree with you, Rodney. 
And, you know, I hope that this is Brian Flores making a decision based upon where Tua currently is, what the locker room wants, and not any type of pressure from above in the organization all the way up to ownership. There has been some talk that it was an ownership pick of Tua with the fifth overall selection, and that if there is pressure from the owner to get this guy out on the field so they see what they have, that makes it a little more awkward. But I still endorse the idea of finding out what this guy has. Let's go. Let's see. They may have the number one overall pick by the time April rolls around if the Texans continue to lose football games, and they may be looking at Trevor Lawrence. So let's see what Tua has before we have to make any decisions about next year. Can, can I just ask the question in the vision through the 2020 prism where nothing in the future is guaranteed? Sunday, I watched New England. Monday, I watched Buffalo. Miami looks as close to being a division champ than they have looked in the last seven years. So, Tony, when I saw that, I go, okay, I get it, but I don't get it. A- am I crazy? Well, I- I'm with Rodney, and Rodney has more history with Brian Flores than I do, but I've talked to him four or five times, and to me, he is making decisions on what's best for this team. Yes, he's looking at the future, but he realizes, hey, we're three and three, and we can be right in this. If we don't win the division, we can be a wild card team. So if he doesn't think Tua gives them a chance to do that, he's not going to put him out there and have him ruin the season. Uh, I, my, my guess is that he's got confidence in him, and he thinks he's going to be fine. And, you know, that's a great point because last year they had every reason to keep Josh Rosen on the field to see what he could mm-hmm. become. Yeah. And Brian Flores decided no. Fitzpatrick gives us a better chance to win. That's the guy we're going with. All right. I'm outvoted three to one. That's fine. That's good. I'll, I'll defer to all you guys on this one. <laughs> and, and I'm sure Rodney will remind me if I'm wrong. I, I'm excited to see Tua, though, play. And it's good that he gets the bye week to kind of get ready for what's coming up here in a couple of weeks. L- let me spin it to a team I mentioned just before that, Rodney, and that's Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo you felt good about when you watched them in September and then against two teams that we think are pretty darn good in Tennessee and Kansas City, maybe we realize the, the level of the water for where we gauge the Bills going forward. Well, I was, re- I was really shocked because a couple weeks ago I was just praising the Bills' offensive line and how well they played against the Rams and how, they, how well they played against Aaron Donald. And it was just very surprising to see me get see them get dominated on both sides of the field. And I look at Buffalo defensively, and I'm sitting there looking at the television, thinking like, okay, Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator, be a little bit more aggressive. Go after Patrick Mahomes. Don't sit back in zone. So I'm sure when they're watching film, Coach, I'm sure Leslie Frazier said, there's maybe some instances where I should have been a little bit more aggressive. But they have to get their middle linebacker, Matt Milano, back. It seemed like they missed him dearly. They're missing some run stoppers up front from last year. They're missing Matt Milano for sure. They haven't been the same unit. And uh, again, we're starting to see them play against better teams. And, and to me, that's the whole focus of these next few weeks. When the good teams start playing each other, it's going to sort itself out. And that's the reality with the Bills to start 4-0 and and then to get rattled back-to-back games in primetime, losing to the Titans and then losing to the Chiefs. They have to be doing some soul-searching, wondering where they are. Josh Allen, MVP candidate through four weeks, now not looking as good as he did in the early part of the season. And you're right, as these good teams start to play other good teams, we find out teams we thought were good maybe aren't all that good after all. Well, I know my comrade Rodney Harrison is going to get on me. I was on the Cleveland bandwagon, and they looked pretty good playing four kind of mediocre teams. Played great, but they played two games against really good teams, and they got stoned both times by Baltimore first game and then by Pittsburgh last game. So how good is Cleveland? The jury's still out. And, Coach, with the Buffalo Bills, I was really surprised with Josh Allen and just how inaccurate his passes were. It wasn't like he was taking a bunch of shots down the field. And, he, I mean, yeah, he was throwing overthrowing guys. But also on those shallow crossers, on those short and intermediate routes, definitely a cause for concern, I believe. Yeah, and I, I thought really it may have been the, the f- conditions. But, uh, it, yeah. you know, Patrick Mahomes threw it well in that rain and wind and whatever was going on up there. So I, he was off a little bit doesn't matter if it's Sunday, Monday night, Monday at 5 o'clock, bad weather in Buffalo in the fall is is, uh, something you can count on. And by the way, it's a veteran coaching move. You know, when they've beat you with one play once, 
figure out a way to stop it. So instead of waiting for Rodney to drop the Cleveland hammer, Tony took it out of his hand. That is veteran coaching. And don't you miss that move, young coaches out there, yeah. going forward. Speaking hey, of Pittsburgh. Hey, hey, Tariko. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Tariko, I'm yeah. sorry. I just, you know, it's, I've been with this guy. This is my 12th year with Coach Dungy. And mm-hmm. he gets so excited when teams get off to a fast start. And he's so quick to jump on that bandwagon. And, and sometimes I just got to pull him back and humble him and say, Coach, slow down. It's only been a month or so. Don't get too excited. See, look, he's, he's just gonna, accepting, accepting it. Yeah. Accepting it and he'll move on. We'll visit back on that in November. Let, let me ask you guys about Pittsburgh, who did play Cleveland and won in a dominant fashion, and Tennessee, who went to overtime. And I love I love the stuff Mike Vrabel's doing, team building, COVID, whatever it is. And, and the little wrinkle, the little rule in the playbook that he found, in the rule book that he found that's uh, very much up the Belichick tree, Mike Florio, of uh, let's throw a 12th guy out there, take the penalty, and help speed the clock up so we can get the ball back that was all-time Belichickian and it was really really impressive and now they play Pittsburgh we look forward to a great game with them on Sunday when the reporters asked Mike Vrabel about that Monday and he said we need to do a better job with penalties my thought is you're doing a pretty good job with penalties when you're intentionally taking them to help you win a football game you have cracked the code on the rule book but you know this is old school there should, I, I wish there was snow in Nashville at any time, especially in October. This just feels like one of those games where it's 1970s and it's strength against strength. It's physical defense for the Steelers against that physical offense. And I think Ryan Tannehill is going to be the key because if the Steelers are going to take away Derrick Henry. And the key to Henry is you got to get him in those first couple steps before he gets that head of steam going. It's going to be on Tannehill to find open guys. And I tell you, the thing that stood out to me watching the Steelers-Browns game That secondary is so confident in everything they do. Pre-snap, post-snap, they know where they're going, what they're doing. The Micah Fitzpatrick pick six, I guarantee you he knew exactly what was coming. That defense has got it going like it hasn't had in a long time, and it's going to be a real test for the Titans. Well, I look at the Titans, and and to me, losing Taylor Lewan at left tackle is a huge loss for him. I mean, this is a guy that is an absolute stud, one of the top two or three left tackles in all of football. He brings attitude. He brings toughness. And when you have to go against Pittsburgh and all the different looks that they give you, it's going to be tough. And you're right, Mike. Um, Ryan Tannehill is the key. He's going to have to try to make some plays with his legs, but not too many because they have so much speed from sideline to sideline. Yes, the secondary is good, but like Coach and I say every single week, there's a lot of holes in that secondary. And if they can protect Ryan Tannehill, they'll give him an opportunity with um, you know A.J. Brown and Khalif Raymond and Jonu Smith and those guys. They've done, done a wonderful job getting contributions from some of those lesser-named guys. And you know the best way to protect your quarterback and slow down a pass rush? Run the football. So I look for a lot of Derrick Henry, and uh, there's no guarantee Pittsburgh's going to stop him cold. I mean, they may slow him down, but I look for Derrick Henry to be the big factor in this game. And I love the point you made, Rodney, off of that. With all the attention on Henry, a bunch of guys are developing, like Anthony Ferkser, the tight end out of Harvard, who had a touchdown in the playoff game against the Pats. He had 100 yards. He had a key block coming off the wing in motion. I mean, they're really utilizing everybody and getting the most out of them, Rodney. And that's why you're starting to really see a lot of evidence building in the favor of Tennessee could be as good as anyone in the NFL right now. Yeah, and they, they truly remind me. That team re- really reminds me of some of the Patriot teams that I was on. Um, just mm. how unselfish this team is. They're very smart. They cop. Like, when we used to be in meetings, Mike Vrabel was so smart. We always knew that he was going to be a head coach because he was always the smartest guy in the room. He was very sarcastic, like most coaches, Coach Dungy. <laughs> but he was just so <laughs> but he was just so smart, and we just we knew that we thought he was going to be the head coach of, of Ohio State. And he ends up being a head coach of the Tennessee Titans. And he texted me last week, and I just said, Coach, congratulations, great win. He says, I love these players. They play so hard for one another. I'm lucky to be their coach. So he he loves his group of guys. Mike Florio, I just want to bring up two quick places in the NFL that constantly are in the news and not because of good news on the field. The Jets and Dallas. It seems like each game it's getting incrementally worse, which is shocking in Dallas because Mike McCarthy was coming in, Jason Garrett, this has kind of been going down one direction for many, many years, the last three or four years. 
now you're starting to hear players whisper, the dreaded anonymous player whispers. It's a bad scene with what's going on, especially the way they lost on Monday night to Arizona. And imagine how bad it would be if they were actually in a division that had good teams in it. They're in first place. That's what's amazing about it. Now, I don't know that they can hold first place, but Jerry Jones said on Tuesday it's manna from heaven that they're in this division where the next best team is 1-4-1. And, and, and so, you know, they need to get the offense better. Ezekiel Elliott's got this fumbling issue in his head that he's got to figure out how to quit thinking about it, how to hold on to the football. The defense, I mean, it can't get much worse, so they got to work. And, and Mike McCarthy acknowledged this yesterday. It's on them to figure out what their guys can do to coach their guys up to do what they're supposed to do. And I think at some point, you got to forget what the system is and you got to do what the guys who you have on your team are capable of doing. And I think as it grows and evolves, maybe the defense can get better. Again, it can't get much worse. And Tony, that's the worst thing to hear the anonymous locker room quotes, right? You know what? I um, That was always my first speech to, to my team every year. Let those guys know we're not going to have that. I learned that from Denny Green when I was an assistant with him. He said, I'm telling you right now, fellas, we don't have anybody on the team named Anonymous, so I better not hear from them. <laughs> and they, got, they got the message. They got the message very quickly. <laughs> And guys, it's it's also it's also up to that that leadership in the locker room. When guys when guys are talking to reporters and stuff like that, it's up for those leaders. Demarcus Lawrence, you're getting paid over a hundred million dollars. You need to bring everybody together, have a players only meeting. And for the life of me, I don't understand. When you have a team that has played and performed so poorly, how do you not cut two or three guys? And maybe that gets somebody's attention when you start seeing some starters being released and other guys let go. Rodney, I know you got a tea time, so I wanted to get you going. So let's. Uh, I don't have a tea time. I have an oh, you don't. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Famous last words. I've been, hey, I got to run to the grocery store on the way to the golf course. Um, <laughs> Las Vegas is playing Tampa on Sunday Night Football. An intriguing matchup. We saw the Raiders win at Kansas City, and then go on the bye. Is there any chance Derek Carr can be Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady in back-to-back starts? It just depends on if he if he comes out with the mindset that I'm just going to let it rip and I'm going to throw the ball down the field. I like that. I like that aggressive mindset. It, it feels like he has something to prove. Or will he revert back to what I used to call him, check down Charlie, a guy that's just going to feel the pressure, check the ball down, and become scared. I think that's one of the things that I'm looking for, Coach. Well, they have, the Raiders had a very good package for Kansas City's blitz, and they made some big plays. They bring that back out again because Todd Bowles and the Bucks are not going to let them run the football. They've got a great defensive front seven. They stop the run for everybody. So they're going to be on top of Josh Jacobs. Derek Carr is going to have to win it. They're going to pressure him just like they did Aaron Rodgers. Now, can you make some of those same plays up the field? It's going to be on Derek Carr. He's going to have to outplay right. Tom Brady if they're going to win this game. And I want to see which Buccaneers team shows up. I mean, if it's the team that we saw at Soldier Field against the Bears a couple of weeks ago, I don't really believe. But if it's the team we saw against the Packers, I believe. And they're still working it through. They're still trying to get better. They're still coming together as a team. We see Rob Gronkowski having his best game of the season. We see some of these receivers getting healthy. And we see that defense... That defense is getting to the point where it may be the best defense the Buccaneers have had since the days of Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and John Lynch. Not that it's going to be at that level, but, but there hasn't been a defense in Tampa like that since then. Looking forward to the game. There's a bunch of things going on in there, a bunch of storylines. You've got John Gruden coaching the Raiders, of course, coached the Bucks in the past. So you've got all that stuff going on. And on top of all that, you've got Hall of Fame tight ends. you got Jason Witten there and obviously Gronk. So a, a ton of good storylines. You know what, guys? Every Sunday night game has been close. Fourth quarter, those Sunday night games have come down to the last possession every week this season. I hope this one does, too. It would be a lot of fun. All right, Rodney, hit him straight. I mean, uh, good luck at the allergy doctor. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I'm playing golf tomorrow, okay, just for your information, okay. not today. Oh, th- so that's I'm, why I'm the glad. allergy te- check up today. Make sure my allergies are okay for the golf course tomorrow. God. Guys, have a great day. Thanks for having me on, Mike Florio. <laughs> Rodney has said goodbye for us, so we'll see you on football night 7 Eastern before the Raiders and the Bucks on Sunday Night Football. Wednesday edition PFT PM, Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, and your questions. And, you know, 
I understand we've been asking for questions two or three times a week, and sometimes we don't have time to really answer many of them. Well, today we do, and we're going to get right to it. Shereen, at KVARP23 has this question via Twitter. Who is the most underrated player on the Pittsburgh Steelers defense? Shereen, your thoughts? It's a great question, and I think the answer is fairly obvious. I think it's Tyson Alou the nose tackle. You know, after they lost uh, Javon Hargrave to the Eagles in the offseason, he's become the primary nose, and he's a big reason, really no pun intended here, that their run defense is number two overall. But he's actually done more than that. He has a sack. He's affected the quarterback, 13 tackles, uh, three tackles for loss. He's really been a big part of that defense, and I think an underrated part of that defense. We always talk about the outside guys because they're the ones who get the sacks and the quarterback pressures and and all of that sort of stuff. And they've been great, no doubt about it, but they get enough pub. This guy on the inside is doing the dirty work and getting it done. Yeah, and you know, when they lost Hargrave to the Eagles, there was some thought that maybe they wouldn't have a classic nose tackle, that they were in the process of shifting toward more of a 4-3 look than a 3-4 look without that traditional nose tackle. Alou Alou has been very good for them. He was the first round pick of the Jaguars way back in 2010. I'm going to go with Cameron Hayward, though. Because I think, number one, he's awesome. And number two, he gets lost in the shuffle. Pittsburgh defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen, typically get lost in the shuffle because it's the linebackers that get the sacks and make the tackles for the most part. The way the system is set up, those guys in the middle just clog up the line and grind away and don't have the statistical achievement that gets them the attention. Yeah, every once in a while, a ball's going to pop up in the air and Cameron Hayward's going to catch it. But for the most part, it's the Bud Dupree's and the T.J. Watts who get the notoriety, and it's the guys grinding away in that front wall that don't. And Hayward's a great leader, captain of the defense, longtime member of the team. He was a first-round pick in 2011, the son of Ironhead Hayward, a Pittsburgh legend. And I just think he means a hell of a lot to that team, so much more that they don't quite even realize it, and they won't realize it until he's no longer playing. And it was smart of them to get him signed to an extension earlier this year, Shereen. And Mike, you know what? I, I think one big thing to, to talking about an absence, I think people are going to realize how much Devin Bush meant to that defense. Uh, his loss is a huge one. And I was talking to a different scout, an AFC scout last night, and he talked about really how much Devin Bush meant to that defense. And they're going to have a hard, hard time replacing him. And I think we're going to see. It's not that he's underrated, and I wouldn't list him as underrated because he was getting a lot of publicity but he was a really integral part of that defense. And they still have the guys up front, but I do think they're going to miss him some. Here's a great question from Papa PWN on Twitter. Pick a team under 500 from each conference to make the playoffs. Let's start with the NFC, Shereen. Do you have one in mind? Well, I think there's two obvious candidates, right? Somebody has to win the East, I think, unless they change the rules, which <laughs> they probably should do. And that's either the Eagles or the Cowboys. And I just think the Cowboys have had too many injuries. And I hope that Andy Dalton doesn't get killed this week. But with the offensive line that they're going to throw out there, there's a good chance that his life is in danger against this Washington defensive line, which we know is very good. And because of all their injuries, I just don't think they're going to win the division. I think it's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm going to pick the Eagles to make the playoffs by default. I don't know that they'll end up with a winning record, but because they win the East, they'll get in the postseason and be one and done. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. We've seen this movie the past couple of years from the Eagles where they start slowly, they figure it out, and I think it's going to be easier this year to figure it out. The one caveat would be if Washington flips to Alex Smith and commits to him for the rest of the season, maybe they have a chance to pull themselves back into it. But for now, I'm going to say Philadelphia Eagles. I agree with you on that. How about in the AFC, a team under 500 that you think can make the playoffs? Well, I think the answer is obvious, and it's the New England Patriots because, you know, they're they're sitting there at two and three, but they're 13th on offense and ninth on defense. And you just think that this is going to be a team that's going to get better and better considering the practices that they missed over the last couple of weeks because of the COVID issues. I just think they're going to be good, and they're going to be there at the end. I think they're going to end up with a winning record because the Patriots always end up with a winning record. They always get to 10 wins. Maybe they don't get to 10 wins, but I think certainly they get to nine wins. And the other team I think you would kind of sort of look like look at simply because they were without their quarterback for a couple, and that's the Denver Broncos. I think they could get back and possibly be a factor in that last playoff berth. And they're the only two teams 
that are at two and three. The other teams below 500 in the AFC, and there are five of them, have one win or fewer. And overall, there are 10 teams right now in the NFL with one win or fewer. And one of the concerns we need to keep an eye on, because I know the league is worried about this, as teams slip out of contention, will they become less concerned about avoiding COVID-19 infections or outbreaks? Because we're done. It's over. We're not going to the playoffs. The one thing the players need to remember If you don't play games, you're not getting paid. So that's reason alone to stay as healthy as you can. But they're very concerned about teams that no longer are playing for anything, being as careful as they need to be about staying away from COVID-19. I agree with you that the Patriots are the team most likely to turn it around. I think the longer they play together, the better they're going to be. And the question is, going on the road in the postseason, can they beat some of these teams? And I think of the best teams in the AFC right now, the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Titans and the Steelers. I think the last team they want to see and in their initial playoff game would be the New England Patriots. Yeah, no question, because you know what Bill Belichick can do, and he's going to put together a great game plan. And yes, maybe they're not going to go win the division. Maybe they're not going to be the top seed in the postseason. But for one game, I don't want to play Bill Belichick. James 9063821. Typically, I beware the name with a bunch of numbers afterward. But in this case, we'll assume <laughs> not a bot, not a troll, and we'll answer James' question. When is AB signing? Picked him up on my fantasy team. Hey, James 9063821. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. We'll still answer the question. Shereen, who do you think he signs with and when? Well, you know, Seattle, as Pete Curl said today, is always in on these things. So I, you know, I don't know that Seattle particularly needs him. And that's the problem. If you bring him into your locker room, you know, you've got DK Metcalf, you've got Tyler Lockett. Is he going to be divisive because he's not getting the ball all the time? And this is a guy that only played one game last year and now hasn't played yet this year. So we know he stays in great shape. There's no question about that. But just not having that game action is he still going to demand the ball despite having not played? So I look at Seattle just because they're always in on these things. But, you know, other than that, I don't know. I don't know that anybody else is just going to be jumping up and down to sign AB. You need to have coaching staff and or team leaders that will ensure that Antonio Brown is deferential and doesn't cause problems. And he needs to be on a one-strike arrangement where if he does cause a problem, out he goes. Last year, the Seahawks were interested in him. And Josh Gordon, they signed Josh Gordon. He got suspended. They've signed him back onto the team. He hasn't been cleared yet. So I could see why they'd be interested in Antonio Brown. And I'm fascinated by the possibility of some of these NFC contenders trying to box each other out to get Antonio Brown because you don't want him to go to the Seahawks. You can get him and keep him from another team. And Tom Brady has wanted him. He's made no bones about it. With all the injuries in Tampa, How do you continue to resist the argument that you should add Antonio Brown? Because they never have the full complement of pass catchers. So put Antonio Brown on the team. I know Bruce Arians wants nothing to do with him based on their two years in Pittsburgh, however. And we'll see who's really got the juice in Tampa. If they do go after Antonio Brown, then maybe it is Tom Brady's team in 2020 and possibly beyond. Last question. At Robert Fenbers, why are the Cleveland Browns fan base and media acting like the team is 2-4 and instead of 4-2, and Shereen? It's the Brown syndrome. We have it at Texas A&M. We call it the Aggie syndrome. You're just so beaten down, right? I mean, 2002 was our last playoff berth. 2007 was our last winning record. Even longer than that, that they won the division. I mean, it's just year after year after year that this team loses. And so you get used to them losing, and we all just wait for them to collapse. And also think that the jury's still out on Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, we don't know what he is. I don't think the Browns know what he is. And he stunk it up the other day. And I'm sure the rib played a part in the way he played. But he he just has not gotten it done the way that we think he should get it done. So I just think it's the history there. It's a graveyard for quarterbacks. And they just haven't been good. I think the problem, too, is when they come up against a really good team, they get smacked down. They lost 38-6 to the Ravens week one and then 38-7 to the Steelers week six. They need to show that they can contend with a great team. Now, they're fortunate. There's only really three great teams left on the schedule, the Titans, the Ravens, and the Steelers. The Raiders are kind of in between. There are six games they should win. And to their credit, they have figured out how to win the games they should win. I think 10 wins is very possible, but what's going to happen? Six seed, seven seed, go on the road week one of the postseason and get smacked down by somebody. So that's what uh, I think 
is causing people to be concerned about the Browns at four and two. Let's take a break. When we return, some stuff about the Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott, the the dysfunction in the locker room and everything else that is causing this first place team to feel like a last place team. More PFT, PFTPM coming at you right after this. Shireen's Dallas Cowboys are two and four. They're in first place in the NFC East. But this is a far cry from the quality of the team for which Roger Staubach, the guy whose jersey is hanging over Shireen's shoulder, would be on. What do they have to do to turn this around, Shireen? Uh, I, I don't know, Mike. With them missing Dak Prescott and most of their offensive line, when you look at what they started with, it wasn't that long ago that, that they had the best offensive line in football. I don't know if they can turn around, Mike. I I think at this point it's Mike McCarthy trying to look toward 2021 and and uh, and get the train rolling the right way, put his program in place as as they like to say. But I think this season's lost, even if they get the playoff berth, that they're going to be one and done. I was intrigued by this tweet from Rick Goslin earlier today. Now retired, but covered the team for a long time. If I were running the Cowboys, I'd be on the phone with Earl Thomas. Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick to gauge their interest. Looking at this tattered roster, the Cowboys can't stand pat at this point. They need playmakers on defense and having a mobile quarterback is a plus. I, I, I think we know where Jerry Jones would stand, no pun intended, on Colin Kaepernick. But, you know, I think they are at a spot where they have to go look for anybody that they can that is better than the guys they currently have on the roster. Well, they're terrible on defense. Those guys would certainly up that defense. They've ignored the safety position. They would help. There's no question they would help. So I think they need to look wherever they can look to get some help and, and, and try to at least win the division this year. And maybe that gives them to some momentum for next year. They're not going to complete their goal for 2020 for sure. And that's winning well, a Super Bowl. And, and think about where you are right now. You've got 10 games left. If you make some dramatic changes now, if you go out and get whoever you can who's better than who you currently have, you can get better by the time late December rolls around. You could carry some momentum into January and maybe, just maybe, be competitive when the postseason rolls around. But it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen for the Cowboys. Here's what's going to happen for us. We're going to take a break until tomorrow at 5 o'clock Eastern. Enjoy your day, and uh, we'll see you on Thursday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.